Alrighty, welcome to Outrageously Unnecessary. I am your host, Haley. Over there is Steven. Hey, what's going on, guys? So, in case you're new to the show, this is a podcast all about the crazy and unusual things that the wealthy have done with their wealth through the ages. Uh, in case you didn't know, as long as you have money, you can just make anything happen? Question mark? I want to say, question mark? I feel like, that was, yeah, with, if you have a lot of wealth, you can do a lot of things in life. Yeah. I mean, and, but, but and the problem is, just, is that wealth doesn't always make you happy, but it does allow you to do a lot of things. Ah, that's okay. Proverb from us, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, but in any case, we are far too interested in all the insane crap that people have pulled through the years because they had the means to do so. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, if I had $40 billion, I think I also would just like decide to get my own private zoo and, and (laughs) a zoo. That's the first thing. I want my own zoo with, I want my own zoo. with llamas and alpacas. <laughs> oh my gosh. You have to, you I, have to admit it to yourself. A lot of rich people, at least, well, I don't know about in this day and age, but in like the Gilded Age, having your own private zoo was like the shit. <laughs> yeah, that was like a staple of having a lot of wealth, especially like, and then not just like normal animals, but like exotic animals too. I mean, that's exactly what the first episode of this entire podcast was about, was it was Pablo Escobar and him having a private zoo. And then his hippos, when he died, his hippos freaking stayed there and (laughs) (laughs) now are a wild population in Colombia. Those poor hippos. (laughs) No, they're doing just fine for themselves. Sure. It's it's the poor locals. Yeah, you're right. It's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Uh, But anyways, um, apologies, everyone, for the very long hiatus. Uh, I have been in the middle of moving, as I believe I've mentioned before, and then I went to France. (laughs) And so we just haven't quite had time to um, record. And no, we didn't do any backup episodes because we're not responsible content creators. (laughs) Ah, vive la France. (laughs) So in any case, uh, last week, uh, I believe it was you who went first. So does that mean that it's me? Me so who goes first? When you say last week, you mean the last but episode. <laughs> last episode. Yeah. You know, again, we're not responsible content creators. So. <laughs> hey, but we are content creators. So. Yeah. <laughs> we're putting some good out into this world, I That's think. That's right. All right, Haley Borden, you're up first. All right, Stephen. So, as I said before, I went to France not too long ago. So, uh, one of the things that was on my list, as touristy as it sounds, was to go to Versailles. Mm. And uh, it is it is literally the vision of opulence and extravagance and uh, taking just flaunting your wealth. And so, I knew as long as I was going to France, and as long as I um a host of this podcast i had to go and get photos of it for myself so uh, Haley, I do have to in honor to... of my going to france and being able to take photos of versailles and put them up on our instagram which i did uh i'm gonna talk about the very very ridiculous architecture and traditions that came with specifically louis the 14th's reign Haley, i do have to know real quick did you learn any french before going over there god no <laughs> <laughs> So you were just you were just the typical American tourist, and you, they spoke French to you. You're just like, uh huh, yeah. <laughs> um, or, or sometimes, or did you have any I, any uh, 
Did you know just I was, any phrase? I was able No, I was able to say hello, I was able to say thank you, I was able to say no, I wasn't able to say sorry. Um but for the most part I did like have a quick sheet of phrases, but for the most part the French like once they realize like you speak English or you you ask them like parlez vous anglais, they're like, Oh, yeah, okay, here you go. Go this direction, go do that and so it's like great <laughs> nice there you go yeah but i also relied on the boyfriend uh who used to be fluent in french and uh most of his french came back while we were there but his solution was also instead of just drawing he would just speak english he's like no nah, i'm not gonna insult them with my terrible accent sure sure <laughs> but yeah so anyways uh upon going there really I don't I don't speak French, but most things are available in English, so Yeah. There you go. That works. It wasn't wasn't hindered. Yeah. I speak I speak Spanish, my dude. I speak English oh, and Spanish okay. and that's it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, not I was a lot just of French speakers in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just curious. A lot of Spanish speakers though. Uh but yeah, so anyways, to con to continue on about Versailles. Um I am going to be doing Louis XIV's reign. I could go into Marie Antoinette, but I think I'm going to save that for another day because I literally wrote two pages about Louis XIV mm -hmm. and <laughs> Marie Antoinette also deserves her own two pages. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. So let's just get into it. Our yeah. boy, Louis XIV, the Sun King. The Sun King. The Sun, here comes the Sun. Do -do -do -do. No. Uh, he was born in 1638. And he began his reign in 1661. So at the very young age of 23 years old, he launched straight into making sure that the nobles understood that it was his divine right to rule and his divine judgment was everything. Mm. So he made himself the center of everything. Uh, chose the sun as his symbol, uh, as it is the star that gives life to all things. Uh, he also had the sun god Apollo uh, as as his symbol, so they were kind of interchangeable. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so he, he basically became the sun god Apollo reincarnate. Um, and so basically from the moment he woke up, to the moment he went to bed, he created a ceremony to celebrate his very being. Everything he did and created was to remind the nobles and his followers of his absolute power. Uh, and the nobles pretty much ate it up and fought to participate. So uh, Louis really succeeded in just having a bunch of powerless little sheep following him around. So he retained all of his power. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so that's just a little background on, on ya boy. Uh, but let's talk about Versailles and why exactly it is so opulent. Yeah? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so initially Versailles was a tiny hunting village with a building just large enough to house Louis Thirteenth, Louis XIV's father, uh, and his hunting party. So there's like big forests all around uh, Versailles and apparently it was a really good hunting ground. So it was pretty much just used for hunting for a very long time. And then um, once Louis XIV came into power, he got a hold of it. And then he proceeded to spend, I really want to say like 40 years or something like that, just spending an exorbitant amount of money on making it 
the biggest testament to his wealth and power that he possibly could. So, yeah, he expanded on it and everything was like gold encrusted. There were monuments to him everywhere. Everything had to be the biggest and best it possibly could be. And what he did was he then convinced all of the nobles. So the entire court, this is like a couple hundred thousand people not not a hundred thousand but like a hundred comma maybe a thousand people yeah (laughs) um not a hundred thousand that was that was wrong um he got them all to move to versailles he said you guys are required now to live here (laughs) so the entire government just kind of uplifted and shuffled its way on over to versailles and that was in 1682. So, okay, so he began his reign in 1661. It was in 1682 that he got everyone over there. So it took roughly 20 years. Like just like a large flock of geese, just a full-on migration. It was a full-on migration. So I'm going to go ahead and just uh, run down the list of quick stats to drop your jaw before we get to, like, the really weird ceremonies and oh, yeah. there's, there's uh, rules that were involved. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's some good ones with him. There's oh, yeah. some very good ones. Uh, <laughs> All right. Drop okay. some stats. Drop those some, stats. Drop those stats. Um, okay, so let's run down a quick list. Uh, ooh, <laughs> I could not get that sentence out. <laughs> nice. That was bad. Okay, let's try that sentence again. Let's run down a list of quick stats. God, I could not get that out there. Quick stats, quick stats, quick stats. Words. Words are Um, Statistics for you. Uh, (laughs) Just so we can drop everybody's jaw before we get to, like, the really weird things that uh, Louis XIV subjected I would say himself and his court, yeah. too, because he was definitely a very large part of it, and it had to have been exhausting. <laughs> um, but anyways, the Palace of Versailles itself, which, by the way, I, I just want to point out that in France, they don't call it the Palace of Versailles. They call it the Chateau Versailles. And I'm like, it's not a chateau. A chateau is much smaller as far as i have understood why do you call it a chateau it is literally seven hundred thousand square feet it is a very large palace (laughs) so like i just said seven hundred thousand square feet just is the main building the main palace uh the entire grounds of versailles is 2014 acres Do you want to know how many square feet that is? Please, I actually do. 87,728,720 square feet. Unbelievable. That is incredible. So take the size of the the palace and then just tack on 87 million square feet for the gardens. Unreal. (laughs) But it is real, so... Unreal. But it is real. I literally went there. (laughs) I literally went there. It's huge. It's unbelievably massive. My legs hurt very bad after walking all through it. But um, they do actually have golf carts for rent if you want to like go through. Ooh, that's fancy. (laughs) I know. Garrett and I almost did it. And then we were like, no, 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 no. We're going to go walk. We're going to go walk. And then uh, at some point we rented bicycles so we could get to the uh, Petit Trianon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even that, I was like, my legs hurt. (laughs) But... (laughs) 
<laughs> but anyways, um, just as a comparison for everybody on just how big 87 million square feet is, uh, most houses in the U.S. are on like a quarter of an acre lot. So, right. yeah, that's a lot of houses that you can fit in this place. Um, other stats for you are uh, the Palace of Versailles has a total of 2,153 windows, 1,200 fireplaces, all of which I believe are made out of uh, marble or uh, stone that is collected. Ooh, Bless me. you. Thank you. Uh, from the region. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it's all different colors. They actually have this really cool uh, room where they just have massive slabs of all the different colors of uh, stone that comes from the region that's used uh, throughout the palace. So there's like reds and blues and greens and whites and blah, blah. And they're really pretty. But also I kept looking at the massive slabs being like, that could be a countertop oh, no. right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got so many uses for that. Just... Just like I have so many uses. <laughs> just one little piece. Can I just have one little piece? Can I can I just have like a quarter of that slab, please? Cause I've look, man, I spent four hundred dollars on a on a piece of quartz for my coffee table topper. I'm willing to drop some money. Yeah. <laughs> I've got euros to spend. I've got euros here. I do. I think I have mm, forty-two euros and five cents. <laughs> What'll that get me? <laughs> it'll it'll uh, get you a bebel. You can have a bebel. <laughs> I think that'll get me like one sandwich. Yes. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> no, they, the sandwiches were not that expensive. Also, they had little cafes just hidden in the gardens. So you would be walking around and then just happen upon somewhere that you could buy yourself like a little coffee. Ooh. So I know, so it was fun. You'd be wandering through. It's literally like a maze of hedges as you're walking through, and then you're just like, oh, I think you have to turn left here, and then you turn, and then you're like, oh, coffee, okay. <laughs> Did you drink a lot of coffee? Uh, we drank a decent amount, yes. I'm quite fond of cappuccinos. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Garrett liked the espressos. He's like, double, double shot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyways... More statistics? Yes. There's 700 rooms in the palace. So you've got a party room, and then you have a party, like an after-party room for, like, the party room. And mm -hmm. then you, you've got 698 more rooms to, to, to go to. To, to do whatever <laughs> you want. Which you can get to these rooms via over 67 staircases. <laughs> Stairs. So many stairs. Um, it took 36,000 workers to build the palace and gardens. Not surprising. Not surprising at all, but that's still just so many people. Um, and so let's just talk about one of the most famous rooms in Versailles, which is uh, the Hall of Mirrors. Mm. Um this is something that you will find in every uh, European history textbook from high school where yep. they're, when they're talking about the French, they're like the Hall of Mirrors, the, the symbol of opulence, um, which having now been in it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's basically a real long hallway. It's a real big hallway. 
uh, that's got really tall roofs and it has 17 large mirrored arches on uh, one side that are opposite 17 large windows that overlook the garden on the other wall. And so each arch contains 21 mirrors. And so as a total, there's 357 mirrors in that hall alone. (laughs) And then there's massive crystal chandeliers that are hanging from the ornately painted ceiling. So basically you walk in, everything is gilded crystal or a mirror, and it's just the most blindingly shiny thing you've ever seen. Oh, I bet. Especially in person. <laughs> it's I bet in- it's impressive. So when we went there, it was 10 a.m. and it was already chock full. It was chock full of people. So I'm going to go ahead and send you, and I will put this up on the Instagram and uh, probably Twitter, which is uh, at out, or, eh, out outrageously unnecessary is Instagram. Oh, unnecessary pod is Twitter. If you want to see these photos. Um, so anyways, um, you can see just how many friggin people there are. Walking in, it damn near gave us a panic attack trying to worm our way through this place. I couldn't even find the sign half the time telling you, like, what number you needed to click for your audio guide. (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess I'm not going to learn anything about this today because that tour group is covering it all. Time to keep walking. (laughs) Like, we spent most, we spent three hours in the gardens because we were like, there's too many people in the palace. We're just going to go. We saw the Hall of Mirrors. That's all we needed. <laughs> so just so everyone knows, the, the picture that I just sent Stephen and that I will be putting up is uh, it shows pretty much the ceiling and the crazy amount of chandeliers. And just it's had one end of the Hall of Mirrors looking down and you cannot see the floor. There are so many people. It's just nothing but heads and bodies. Let the bodies hit the floor. Let the bodies hit the floor. That architecture is just, it's stunning. Like it's, it really is a masterpiece and it just shows you the detail. Obviously, you know, the opulence, but it's just incredible. That architecture. Oh yeah. Here, I found um, a Google image of uh it empty so you can actually appreciate what's happening with the architecture yeah yeah that's a much much better picture like all the archways you can see the chandeliers and the reflections in the mirror and it's just it's bananas it's so much gold it's so much gold it's like there it's uh there's gilding on everything yeah yeah absolutely also, I think I read somewhere that on nights that the Hall of Mirrors was, like, being completely used and, f- like, super filled, there were, I think, 20,000 candles to light that place up. Good night. Yeah. So, uh, but basically, that entire hallway uh, was really expensive because mirrors were ridiculously hard to make in the 1600s. So they were really, really expensive. So basically the hallway was one, hey, look how rich I am and how important France is message to the entire world. It was literally supposed to just show everybody just like, I've got a big dick and I'm gonna swing it. <laughs> swing it loud, swing it proud. So I, I assume <laughs> that those mirrors are, are they all the original mirrors or have some been updated and restored? 
I do, I would believe that they're all the original mirror, which means that they're based in silver. Yeah. Which is why vampires can't see themselves in mirrors. Did you know yes, that? Yes, I did. Fun fact. Yes, I did. Fun fact. That's why vampires, because there's silver in the back. They could probably see themselves in modern mirrors, though. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah Modern-wise, yeah, I didn't think about that. They probably could see themselves in... in... Yeah, we don't back our mirrors in silver anymore. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to do a Halloween episode. I, I was literally thinking the same thing. I'm like, hmm. I did a solo Halloween episode last year, and it was really fun. It was, uh, I think, episode four, and it was about the Winchester Mystery House, which was really fun. But it would be much more fun if you were yes. there. Yes. So, anyways, uh, I think I mentioned earlier that Versailles has the ability to house about 5,000 people at one time. And so it absolutely did, uh, simply because, like I said, uh, Louis XIV required the nobility to move to Versailles so he could control them, keep an eye on right. them. Uh, the nobles had to participate in festivals, dinners, daily ceremonies. Uh, so life was one big frivolous thing. Uh, according to JustFunFacts.com, quote, Actual building costs for Versailles are debated uh, by modern historians because currency values are uncertain. However, Versailles' price tag definitely ranges anywhere from $2 billion in 1994 U.S. dollars all the way up to a maximum cost of... Is that a quadrillion? I'm trying to decide if that's a quadrillion. No, billion. Yeah, billion. Okay, dollars That was really hard to read that uh, number. <laughs> uh, that is so much money. It's so much money. I really hope that those 36,000 workers were paid extremely well. I hope so, too. I don't think they were. No. <laughs> I don't think so either, but that is an insane amount of money. That's so much money. Imagine, oh imagine what we could do with just a quarter of it. A lot. A lot. I would I would hope that I would do some good with Same. that, but I know I'd go to Target and buy myself something first. <laughs> I like that my, Target? my initial that was thought your is first I'm going to Target. Going to Target. <laughs> I'm going to go to Target with my million dollars and buy me something real, real nice. Real nice. No more Walmart shopping for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, like go to like the, uh, the, like the home goods section of like the Target Superstore and get like our super fancy like Whatever, yeah, because that's where like I, I picture all like the most expensive stuff is in like the home goods section of Target. I was, I'm I'm going to the home goods section today, and I'm very highly considering buying myself some autumn themed throw pillows. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, Haley, you're so fancy. I'm so you're such fancy. a you're such a queen. Oh no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh. Let's keep going with Louis XIV. So that was all the stats on, and I didn't even talk about the gardens. The gardens were phenomenal, though, and if you want to see my personal pictures of them, hit up Insta. Um, but yeah, the the I just don't have enough time to talk about it all. I would talk about the gardens. As a landscape architect, that's why I wanted to go. They are literally right. Right. the world-class uh, standard on French formal gardens. 
They're huge. I had a great time wandering through them. Their topiaries were amazing. The topiaries were literally in such funny friggin' shapes that it was literally like, we're gonna make a triangle and then a weird ball in the middle and then we're gonna have a square. They were just going with their primary shapes made out of a plant. Love it. It was great. Uh, And they were everywhere. Oh, by the way, I think there's like four... It's either 400 or 4,000 statues just in the gardens. Oh, There's a lot. I saw a good portion oh, of them. Um, so anyways, uh, Louis XIV, because he's got all of his little sheepy nobles, uh, he created a system to show favorability and rank of courtiers just by who got to participate in what ceremony. So as a courtier, you were allowed, like, if you were allowed to, uh, to stand next to the royal table and watch Louis XIV eat, that meant that you for sure had the king's respect and ear. Uh, and, and like, up to 300 people could be in that room watching Louis XIV eat. Because they were very public things. So, yes. Yeah. yeah. Not, so, not just eating was public. <laughs> not just eating, as we know. Yeah, no, it was... Okay, I need everyone to remember that I am the center of the of attention. So I, you all have to stand here, and then and then, yeah, go. But if you got to be close, like there's apparently um, Mozart got to stand next to the head table while Louis the Fourteenth was eating. So apparently Mozart was uh, very well respected by the king. Well, look at look at him. Yeah, and I think that was for Louis the. 16th ah. which was marie antoinette's husband um so let's talk about the getting up ceremony and i'm going to be quoting almost all of this from the official versailles website because they have uh, a page that's called a day in the life of louis the 14th and um according to the uh the website uh louis the 14th's day began at 8 30 a.m quote Members of the entourage, those with important roles, and certain friends who enjoyed the privilege of attending such moments successively entered the king's bedchamber while the sovereign was washed, combed, and shaved. Then the officers of the chamber and of the closed storehouse entered uh, for the grand getting-up ceremony, during which the king was dressed and drank soup for breakfast. I don't know why the soup had to be included, but I enjoyed that he had soup every day of his life, apparently. Um, continuing the quote. <laughs> as, well as, as well as the most important members of the court, the closest royal servants were allowed to watch the ceremony. The number of spectators, all male, was probably around 100. So, 100 people, not people, 100 men would all shove their bodies into his room. And I've been in his room where this happened. It's big, but I still feel like big enough for 100 people would be very cramped. Yeah, um, yeah by the way, that entire room is very red and it's very disconcerting to be in. <laughs> um, it's all just bright red. Uh, so basically, highest ranking courtier was given the honor of handing... Uh, the king or queen, because the queen also had to do this, but she was doing it with the women of the court, obviously. And um, if you got to hand a shirt or a pair of underwear to the king, uh, then you were doing great in life. They would fight over who got to do this. Of course, <laughs> money they would. makes people crazy. Of course they fight. Money makes people insane. 
No, no, no. Imagine <laughs> fighting to be like, I want to hand him underwear today. Let me hand him the underwear. Yes. No, I have the trousers. You had the trousers yesterday. <laughs> Please, I just want to hand him his wig. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, anyways, if you wanted a peek at the royal body, you had to climb the social ladder because seeing seeing him naked was considered a great honor. Uh-huh. Just, uh-huh. Yeah. I'll bet. Some 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 peeking at the royal the royal genitals. <laughs> uh. Unreal. <laughs> Yeah. So there's other stuff that happens through the middle of the day, but I'm running out of time. So to skip to the end of Louis' day uh, at 10 p.m., and this is another quote from uh, the website for Versailles, uh, quote, 10 p.m., the crowd would hurry into the king's antechamber to attend the dinner at the royal table. The king was sat down to dinner with the members of the royal family. Once the meal was over, the monarch crossed the room and entered the salon to greet the ladies of the court. He then retired to his cabinet to converse more freely with his family and few close friends. And then at 11.30 p.m., the going-to-bed ceremony began. This was a public ritual when the king retired to his bedchamber, and it was the exact reverse of the getting-up ceremony. So people had to come up and take his shirt off of him and take his pants off of him, and then... It's, I don't know if he was washed and shaved and everything, but I just, he, this man was going from 8.30 a.m. till 11.30 p.m. with a hundred courtiers just following him Jeez. around. Jeez. I yeah. like privacy, so I, I wouldn't be able to handle that at all. No. It's, it, like, when I say that he subjected himself to insane crap, I mean, like, he subjected himself. There's a reason. Like, the Louis the 15th and 16th, both of them didn't like all of the the ceremonies that had been established because it, it drove them insane. It, like, you get no personal freedom. The only personal freedom that Louis had, or Louis Fourteenth had, was he would eat dinner alone in his room every night. So even just the 10 p.m. Uh, royal table dinner, that was not his true dinner. That was him eating for show, and then he'd go back to his room at some point, or he, or maybe earlier in the day, and he would eat alone. Interesting. Yeah. Oh. Finally, I just wanted to, uh, I just wanted to give some fun facts, um, that I found about the French court, and just some really weird acceptable things slash traditions that were created during this time. And I found these on ranker.com ranker. Yeah. And it turns out they actually have a lot of really good articles on, uh, on the French Royal court. (laughs) And I got, I got sucked a little bit down into a rabbit hole. So if I go back to Marie Antoinette, I'll, I'll send you back their way again. But yeah, but anyways, one thing is that, uh, Courtiers would grow out a single fingernail to scratch on doors because knocking was a major faux pas. Uh, so they specifically grew out, I don't know which finger, part of me hopes it was the middle finger, just as a big F you to the royal court. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you couldn't use your knuckles to knock on the door. It was considered really like loud and rude and uh, just don't do it. And so what you would do is you would scratch. And I feel like that's so creepy like that's so creepy to just hear like a as like a single fingernail is just dragged across like a wood archway right right (laughs) yeah but you'd see a courtier that like their hands would be all neat and tidy and then just one nasty ass fingernail 
And then, yeah. (laughs) And then fun fact number two is um, Versailles was covered in human waste simply because a lot of courtiers felt that they were too noble to be bothered with sitting down in a designated spot to take a pee. So, uh, (laughs) from Ranker, quote, In his memoirs about life at Versailles, Louis de Rouvroy? I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Anyway, uh, R-O-U-V-R-O-Y. Rouvroy. Sure. I don't know. Sure. Um, His uh, Duc de uh, Saint-Simon... Uh, he recalled in his journals that uh, the Princess de Harcourt routinely relieved herself in the hallway, much to the anger and annoyance of the servants who had to clean up after her. Apparently, she would just keep walking while she did it, too. She was like, I've got places to be. I've got to pee. Let's go. <laughs> so she would just leave like a snail trail behind her as she's going. Uh, uh. <laughs> and all of, yeah. But apparently there's a a lot of articles out there that talked about how bad Versailles actually smelt. So I would be spending a lot of time out in the gardens. Yes. This would be like, no smelly palace for me. Thank you. And then um, uh, last but not least on Ranker, there was uh, something that said that there... uh, where you sat and what you sat on was determined by your rank. So, Ah. which I found this really interesting. So the king got an armchair. So did the queen. So did any other visiting monarch of appropriate rank. Um, But all the other courtiers, they had to figure out what chair they belonged to. Mm -hmm. So princes and princesses of the royal uh, bloodline, they were entitled to an armless chair. So they don't get an armchair. They get an armless chair, but it still has a back. Um, So they get to be comfy, but not too comfy. And then um, basically uh, duchesses could sit on stools. uh, And then after that, I think you get to stand. So uh, according to Ranker... In one instance, the fam- the infamous Princess de Harcourt, the same lady who likes to pee as she walks, um, she she raised eyebrows when she forcibly removed a duchess from her stool after finding no other seating to her taste. In general, however, <laughs> courtiers got to sit at the mass, at the comedy, and at the card table. That's the only time that you got to that you got to sit was if you were at church, if you were watching a show, or if you were playing a game. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know why that made me absurdly happy, but it did. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. But anyways, that's that's just the absurdity of Versailles and just how damn ridiculous that entire place is. And I'm just sending you one last photo of um, what the main garden looks like right outside oh, of yes. the palace. The gardens of Versailles. So beautiful. Yeah. Big fountains. Fountains were huge. I believe he spent a quarter of the entire budget on the fountains that exist there. Uh, yeah, lots of hedges. Lots of very formal hedges and shapes and swirlies. and. Yes, I love the swirlies. Very good swirlies. So, anyways, that's everything I had for you. Wonderful. Um, I would ask what you got for me, but according to the last episode, you left me on a cliffhanger. So, if you would like to... 
you know, continue that cliffhanger, I wouldn't say no. Absolutely. And for all your readers out there who definitely want to know. uh, Readers? Readers, listeners, readers of (laughs) audio words. For all you, for all you. We're transcripting this now? Yes, for all you readers of the audio words. uh, Yes. So the last (laughs) session, we talked about a family who had a very interesting, very interesting last name. But before we, uh, before we do a deep dive in, I have a fun fact, a fun, expensive fun fact for you today. Mm-hmm. Do you like comics, Haley? I do like comics. What, uh, what's one of your favorite comics you've ever read? Oh, um, oh, 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 oh. Now I'm trying to remember what it's called. Saga. Um, I can't remember who the author is, but it's really good. <laughs> okay. So Saga is, it's a, well, it's, it's, it's a graphic novel and, Uh um, basically the entire thing is about, um, this couple, they're from two war, two different warring planets uh, that pretty much the entire galaxy is involved in and they end up having a kid and their kid is illegal and their marriage is illegal and it's them trying to, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like a space drama and I'm really into it. Nice. Um, yeah, my, Probably one of my favorite ones that I've read was probably the new 52 of Batman and Robin, which started around 2014, 2015, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the Robin was actually Damian Wayne, who was the son of Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne and Talia al Ghul. Um, and Dick Grayson comes back from Bloodhaven and he take, he you know, uh, takes off his mantle of Nightwing and, and he becomes Batman because Bruce Wayne has died in this particular yeah. arc. So it's Dick Wayne, uh, Dick, Dick Wayne, Dick Wayne. Uh, it's Dick Grayson <laughs> as uh, Batman and then Damian Wayne as Robin. And their relationship is hilarious because they, I would be into that. They dick on each other all the time because Damian Wayne is very aggressive, headstrong, um, very much. I was going to say he's big emo boy, right? Yeah. 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 Very much so. And like super emotional and like just very, very hot headed. And whereas, Dick Grayson, like he knows he's got big shoes to fill, but he, he, he's been on his own for a long time because, you know, he left Bruce Wayne, uh, went to Bloodhaven, became Nightwing. And so now he's back and he's, you know, he has a protege, uh, you know, with Damian Wayne and um, having to kind of raise him, but also kind of keep him in check. And it's just, it's just, they, they dick on each other all the time. It's hilarious. And of course, Alfred's there kind of mediating between the two. Um, mm-hmm. But some really cool storylines. Um, I think the run lasted for maybe two years, I think. Um, but anyways, you know, most comics are sell for what, you know, I think the most expensive, like standard comic is like six bucks, maybe, you know, anywhere from three to $7 on average, you know, depending on the run, depending on how well, well it goes. Well, um, I have a comic book that in 2014 sold for a massive amount of money and rightfully so, um, this is Action Comics number one. So number one ran back in 1938. This was the introduction of Superman to the world. Ooh. So now to this day. Yeah, that's an important comic. For sure. So to this day, uh, four copies of it have sold for a little over a million dollars throughout time. Throughout, since, you know, from 1938 till now, four copies have sold for a little over a million dollars. In 2014, okay. though, this, uh, a copy sold for, and I want you to give me a figure how much, how much you think it sold for. 
Okay, if the rest of them are selling for about a million dollars, um, two million, five million. Definitely in the millions. Definitely in the millions. Not quite as high as five, but it sold for $3.2 million to a private vendor. Or pri- Why is it so much more expensive than the other million dollar ones? I'm not sure, but it was, it was a, oh, it was a special edition ranked and signed copy. Mm, okay, that makes way more sense that it's So signed. yeah, it sold for $3.2 million to one particular collector. So that's bananas. Jeez. That guy must okay. really like comics. Yeah, that's, that's, oh, I mean, I believe uh, Nicolas Cage owns one of the original Superman copies, I think, and I think he also paid about a million dollars yes, for yeah, it, yeah, so yeah, uh, maybe it was, maybe this was the Nicolas Cage buy. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Go no, ahead. I don't think, I know, I don't think, I don't know. Nick didn't spend that much on, on the comic. I don't remember how much he spent. If you want to learn about that, uh, I can't remember which episode it was, but I did do an episode, or I did do a topic yep. on Nick Cage. Yep, I remember. I really want to say that's like episode seven, but don't quote me on that. We won't. Um, ooh, thank you. <laughs> uh, so that was a very good fun fact. And I'm kind of, I'm really into this idea of having fun facts as our middle, middle time segue. Yeah. So I, I posted this on Twitter when I found this, um, this was either a week or two weeks ago, but I'm just going to go ahead and announce it for the world for anyone who doesn't follow us on Twitter. My fun fact is the fact that at auction, for some reason, Someone bought uh, Hitler's wife's underwear, so Ava Braun's underwear, for $5,000. That's just nasty. Yeah, it's real <laughs> gross. Yeah, that, that is someone who has a very, very specific fetish. Like, well, it's more just like, oh, yeah, I'm very into history. Uh, you don't need to be that into history. Right, no, that... I feel like that's a very specific thing to want to buy. Yeah, I mean, like, I understand that that's, that's a, it's, I guess, a historical artifact, but, like, ew. Right? Ew. Yeah. So, ew. getting into the second half. Are you ready, Haley? Yeah, I'm ready. So, listeners, last time I brought up a individual who was considered to be the first millionaire, like, documented mm-hmm. millionaire, but also mm-hmm. one of the richest per, uh, people of all time. Uh, and this man uh, I introduced was named was Jacob Fugger. Yay, the Fugger is back. The Fuggers. <laughs> so we talked about Jacob Fugger's lineage and kind of history uh, and that how he kind of worked himself, made himself up from nothing. Um, and one of the really cool, kind of unique, interesting facts is we have um, – Taxes, or not taxes, I should say, but we have interest on loans today, and we have Jacob Fugger to thank for interest today because of. Thanks for my student loans, yes, Jacob Fugger. Yeah, we have interest today uh, in part of Jacob Fugger, who, you know, as we talked about, just kind of a quick, you know, recap reminder: uh, one of the popes uh, selling indulgences, and that you know, taxes and interest could not be sold, um, but he kind of worked a way around that and instituted through the church so he kind of changed christianity and and he you know instituted you know as far as like with uh having this interest like on um oh, what's the word um di- uh divulgence not divulgence but um oh i know what you're talking about i, I can't also don't remember i can't the think word. of the word i want to say it's not but basically yeah it's not di- it's oh, not di- it's, it's not uh it's not divulgence but it's uh it, 
Oh, it's something... no. So, it, it, it's going to hit us somewhere in the middle of this episode. It's fine. It's fine. Right, 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 right. right. Um, yeah. Indulgence. Indulgences. Indulgences. Yes. Yes. But basically, Publio the Tenth was just like yeah. the naughtiest boy. Yeah, super naughty. And like, Jacob Fugger was there to fund that. Yes, he had parties and prostitutes and spent thousands and thousands of the church's money to fund his libations and debauchery. His many orgies. So, and he brought alongside <laughs> Jacob to kind of help fund the church, but uh, he uh, he would you know give these loans to Publio, but then he would accrue and charge interest, and which is how he made his fortune. So at the end of all, I gave that uh, Jacob Fugger, his net worth upon death was around $400 billion of today's money. So much. Which is a stupid amount, okay? That's such a stupid amount. So obviously you die, you have this grand inheritance and you pass it on to your children and their children's children. So what did the Fugger family do with their inheritance, you ask? I don't know, because I have never heard them in modern day times, but you insist that they're still alive. They are still alive. And let's um, kind of get into just briefly, I want to talk about Jacob's successor. So um, the one of the main inheritors of his money was his nephew, Anton Fugger. Wait, but he had children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What? Yes. So Why the nephew? So, J- so Anton actually w- wanted to succeed in his uncle's business. His children did not. His children kind of devolved into and just did other stuff. Not really important. But Got it. the nephew okay. was the was the one of important because because Anton was also financially savvy and he wanted to get into um, Jacob's business as well. So he got into um, he got into trade, he got into exports, he got into the kind of the financial sector. Um, so in fifteen twenty five um the Fuggers were granted revenues from the Spanish Order of the Spanish Orders of Knighthood, and they uh, kind of profited together from the mercury and some silver mines. Um, Anton he used these to kind of, and he also helped to establish some new trade routes between Peru and Chile, also starting some mining ventures in Sweden and Norway. Um, so this was in 1525, the same year that Jacob died. God damn, we are spread across the globe. Yes, very, very much so. Um, so getting involved uh, with his mining ventures, he also got involved in the slave trade from Africa no. to America. Yes. You naughty man. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but however, the slave trade, he found out, was not quite as profitable as his other ventures because he had more success and the spice trades, also in doing mining ventures, uh, like I said, in spices Sweden. don't die when you stick them on a boat. No, they don't. Uh, he also imported, and it was a, a note here. He imported Hungarian cattle, Spe- specifically, specifically Hungarian? Hungarian cattle. Why are the Hungarian cows so much better? It doesn't say, but apparently those are some damn good cattle. Okay. So eventually, um, some wars, some wars happens. He had he ran down on his luck he was actually forced to give up a lot of his ventures uh, in 1542 and he had racked up so much debt that his worth was about 5.6 million but his debt was 5.4 million so i'm sorry and he did this with the 400 billion that he had yes so yep yeah, so he decreased the worth down to 5 to to 5 how 
How? How? How do you get from 400 billion to five? Some really, really bad decision making and just some really, really hard times. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, after these hard times, and again, there was a, and I can't remember the, the, the particular war, but there was some wars that had happened um, in the 16th century. Um, he had lost a lot of he had lost a lot of money in his money ventures. There were accidents. There was things that happened um, that uh, he had to kind of make some deals on to kind of save some face, save some financial uh, means to to carry on. However. After these hard times, um, Anton's nephew, who also succeeded, was named Johann Jacob. Okay. Okay. Um, so Johann Jacob, as well as Anton's son, Marcus, picked up the business and re uh, and began to turn it around. So they turned it around. Well, thank God for that. <laughs> in between 1563 and 1641, they earned back 50 around 50 billion ducats. Um, okay. Between 1563 so, and 1641. I'll, I'll get the hang on, because I did the math. So they uh, they uh, got into the production of, mercur- of, 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 of uh, mercury um, between those times. And through some really smart plays, some smart decisions by Anton San Marcus and Johan, they were able to increase what was, what was 400 to $700 billion in today's money. Jesus. So, what? Dear Barbara. Okay. So, what did they do with that seven hundred billion? That's a lot of money. That's so much I money. Know. So, what was the smartest thing they could ever do? Was they decided to open up a bank? Okay, that seems like actually a wise decision. Yes. Cool. Yes. So there is still two banks that are still standing. Uh, there's a small private bank called the the First Fuga Private Bank in Augsburg. Great. That is still standing today. It's a private. It's a privately held bank by the Fugger family, and cool. And so and so they have that. Okay. Um, there was uh, another branch called the Fugger von Brot, and then a third branch which is called the Fugger von Kirchberg, uh, which is in Illerkirchberg, Germany. I appreciate you trying to pronounce all of these things correctly. You're doing wonderfully, sweetie. Thank you. So banks were also what they uh, decided to do as well was they started the process actually before before Jacob, the original Jacob Fugger died. They had built some buildings as uh, essentially some low, like some like low income housing. Well, they actually expanded that. And today it is known as the Fuggerai. So that's Fugger, and then at, tack on an E-I at the end. So F-U-G-G-E-R-E-I, the Fuggerai. Okay. Um, it, it was built and provided a number of almshouses for needy citizens. So by, um, let me find my notes on it. It is the world's oldest to date social housing complex that is still in use. So it's a, That's pretty cool. So that's, that's actually pretty damn cool. I know. It's a walled off. Um, enclave um, within the city of Augsburg. Actually, Augsburg is in Bavaria. So Augsburg, Bavaria. It, let's see, um, about 600,000 ducats to, um, to, to initially purchase and then renovate as time 
Uh, well, they had 50 million ducats to work with, so I think they're good. Yep, yep. Uh, so uh, within the complex, there are 52 houses. The rent that they charge back then was one Rhenish Gilder. <laughs> okay. A uh, Rhenish Gilder is equivalent to about... Wait, is that one is that one word or is Rhenish, Rhenish the type and then a Gilder, Gilder. is the... Yes, okay. a Rhenish Gilder. I keep, I keep thinking, I'm like, those damn Germans keep pushing all the words together. Rhenish Gilder. <laughs> one Rhenish Gilder. So the rent was one Rhenish Gilder and three daily prayers for the current owners of the Fuggerai. They had to, they had to say the Lord's Prayer, the Hail Mary, and the Nicene Creed, along with oh, oh. one Gilder. And that was their Wait. rent. I just need to know, did they have to pray in front of somebody so they knew that the prayers were happening? Are the prayers just on, like, whenever, good, goodwill? No, whenever they went to go pay their rent at, like, the main, like, the main, like, house that they took the rent at, they had to say the prayers. That makes way more sense because I'm just thinking of it as a good faith situation where it's just like, and you said the prayer last night? <laughs> Uh, yes, sir, I said the prayer last night. <laughs> you knelt before your altar, you knelt at the bedside, and you prayed for the Fokker family. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, today, for people going through hard times, they have to go through kind of a process to get admitted into, but today... So, okay, so one Rhenish Gilder is the equivalent to about 88, like 0.88 of a euro, so about 88 cents, like almost a, a one euro. The rent today for those low income is still one euro a year. What? Mm How? -hmm. How? 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 Because the $700 billion and the banks help support the upkeep and furnish everything else. That's so cool. Mm -hmm. Oh my god! A billionaire who actually did something decent. Now the tour, if you want to tour it, it is four euros, and you can tour it. That, I'm just a little bit flabbergasted right now that like something so nice came out of this. <laughs> I know, right? So, oh, um, for the 54 families who get to live in there, good on them. So the conditions to live there remain the same as they were 500 years ago. I'm sorry, you still have to say three prayers? Yes. The conditions to live there remain the same. So. <laughs> it, it, Rent is one euro and three, three prayers. prayers. <laughs> <laughs> so there were some other, um, other stipulations as well. One um, must have lived at least two years in Osberg. They must okay, be. Okay, so got Yeah. Uh, so that yeah, you, have to, you have to have lived at least two years in Osberg. You have to be of the Catholic faith and have become indigent without debt. This is the kicker. You had to have become you uh, indigent means basically you have nothing, but you, mm -hmm. you cannot have done it through personal debt. You had to either be okay. born poor or through uh, some natural disaster, nat like some terrible means. It's just really, really bad luck. Yes. You have to have the shittiest luck. Yes, but you, so you can't be a person that makes, let's say, 50,000 euros a year, and then you gamble it all away, and then you come and say, oh, I need a place to live. I have no money. 
They will check your fucking bank records. They will check. My so, face just went like so wide, just like, <gasps> yep, this, I can't, I don't know why I enjoy that so much. Yes. So the gates are still locked every day at 10 PM um, for safety. No um, nightlife for you. The housing units in the area consist of about five to 700 square foot apartments. Kind of small, but not terrible. No, that's not awful. Each unit has its own street entrance to simulate living in your own house. That's nice. There is no shared accommodation whatsoever. Each family has its very own apartment. And today it has its own electricity, its own water, own plumbing. Everything is done on its own. It includes a kitchen, a parlor, a bedroom, and a spare room. They also all have a small garden, a garden shed, and an attic. Oh my gosh, you get... you. For one euro and three prayers, you're getting a very good deal out of this. All apartments have all updated modern conveniences, including washer, dryer, television, stove, refrigerator, and running water. I think I and how long, are, how long are you allowed to live there? As long as you remain that indigent? I, or? Uh, I think it does not say specifically, but I would assume. That once a family would could get back on their feet, they would want to move out of there to make room for somebody else. I would assume there's probably something like that within probably like a year contract or maybe two years, something like that. Uh, yeah. Makes sense to me. Right. Uh, so, oh, that's so nifty that that still exists. It was damaged during World War II. Uh, some of the bombings mm. of Augsburg. Had, but uh, it has been rebuilt and it was rebuilt all in its original style. All right. So, so it still looks as nice as it did in the 1500s. Yep. And just so you know, the um, currently surviving member who is in charge of the Fugger Family Trust and the Fugger Family Foundation, her name is Maria Elizabeth Grafien Thunfugger ni Grafenfugger von Krischberg. Oh, she still has Fugger somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Two times. Yes. I heard I heard two Fuggers. Yes. She and she currently lives at the Kirchberg Castle. Which Ah, is, she lives in a castle. Yes. And the uh, let's see, the tr- uh, the trust is administered by a family friend, Wolf Dietrich Graf von Hunt. Everyone just has such great names, but maybe it's just because you're pronouncing them so well. I don't know if you're actually pronouncing them well, but it sounds real convincing. (laughs) I try. So, uh, fair listeners and fair Haley. um, So we now know the there were some ups and downs in the uh, the Fugger family history with their finances going from woke to almost broke. (laughs) They went from woke to almost broke to extremely woke again. Yes, they are extremely woke. They're they're surviving, they are thriving, and they are doing such fucking good for the community of Alsberg. Yeah. I feel like they still probably have enough money that they could, like, make some more of those places. But, like, I'm just so entertained by the, the entire fact that for one euro and three prayers, you just show up and... And you can have such a, like, a nice place to live. Like, that's... Hey, Jeff Bezos, get on it. <laughs> yeah, right? Get on it. So, Haley, I've got a lovely picture for you. Ooh. I-, I want you to see just how beautiful 
the Fogarai is. Now, when okay, for, for those of you, for all those listeners who are not in the States, low-income housing here is not really well upkept. Um, I'm not going to put any blame. I don't want to get political on the show on, on any one party or another, but low-income housing here, when you drive by it, you know it's low-income housing. Like, it's just, it's apparent. But I'm sending Haley a picture of the Fogarai that we were just talking about, and mm-hmm. I want, and hopefully uh, as you look on our Insta and Twitter, that you can see just how beautiful and the detail they put into this <gasps> beautiful community. Oh, they're like little ivy-covered cottages. buildings. They're cottages. They're cottages with like the pitched roof, and they're covered in ivy, and they're really adorable. God damn it, these are God cute. God damn it, I know. I would live in that. Right? I would absolutely live in that. Please let me live in that. <laughs> You have to be indigent without debt. Uh, no, I have student loans. <laughs> that is considered debt. Ha- you cannot live no, here. I, I have the debt. The you, debt is mine. You cannot be a part of the Fugera. You must leave. No, I also have a good job that pays me nice good amount of money. and <laughs> oh. You can come take two euro for four euro. Oh, could, could I not just pay the one euro and say three prayers? I know the nice and clean by heart. I'm not Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Catholic, but I do have the Nicene Creed. Can I do it? You just you just take one year out and throw it at him and run away. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. <laughs> hallowed be thy name. <laughs> thy kingdom come. Ah. <laughs> uh. They're just chasing me. They're like, we know you're Protestant. We know you're Protestant. You can't hide your Protestantism from us. You reek of it. <laughs> so We know you were baptized when you were 15. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. The end, but not the end, of the Fogarai family history. Oh, that, that was... That turned really weirdly wholesome. I thought it was going to get real gross. I thought it was going to get nasty, and it didn't. Not at all. No, mine got real nasty. Yeah. Nice snail trail just <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> through the hall of mirrors, just, just trailing along. I think I want to do some more on that Princess to Harcourt because apparently she was very infamous and did a lot. I think she was like the original bitch. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't know. I just get that feeling. Just like she is the bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the bitch <laughs> like there's just a nice little tm next to that title right, right. <laughs> uh, it's uh, been a pleasure Haley. it has been a pleasure okay everybody thanks so much for joining us um let us know if you liked our fun facts i think we're gonna keep on doing those yeah. uh as our as our middle transition um let me see if i can come up with a uh with a some sort of song transition into fun facts i don't Ooh, know all right i don't know I, I see other podcasts doing that yeah I feel professional sometimes yeah we should absolutely we might not, do it we might not be reliable content creators but god damn it i try that's right um, <laughs> <laughs> but in any case if you haven't already go find us on uh the social meds uh go leave us a review wherever you listen to this give us a rating share with your friends I don't know. Um, we do our best. We might not be consistent, but we're still pretty fun to listen to. Hell so, yeah. Uh, hell yeah. So in that case, we'll see you next time. See you guys. <laughs>